Welcome to Connecting Cultures with Weirong Li, where we create connections through inspiring conversations with Generation Z cross-cultural individuals as well as with successful cross-cultural professionals. We hear their insights and their challenges in their experiences of growing up in such a cross-cultural lifestyle. Today, we have one of the pioneers that created the vocabulary for the third culture kid experience. She was born and raised in Nigeria to a mom who was from Chicago and a dad who was born and raised in Persia to parents who are US citizens. She dedicated her work to third culture kids. And she has been traveling extensively for 35 years to speak about the impact of global mobility. Since 2001, she got interested into the world of cross-cultural kids, not only third culture kids. And we will go into this conversation and learn more about that too. She has also, with her life's work, earned an honorary Doctor of Letters from Wheaton College. Now, there's a lot more I could say about our upcoming guest. However, I am more excited to have the conversation with her to let her share more of her experiences with all of us today. Let us give a warm round of applause wherever you are listening from to Dr. Ruth Van Raken. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you, and I really appreciate your invitation. I'm always happy to meet more cross-cultural people like you and to have these discussions because they're important and they're terribly interesting for me. It's my pleasure, Ruth. Thank you so much for being on this show and sharing again your experiences. Before we dive into our conversation, I have with me the Third Culture Kid book also deemed as the Bible for third culture kids. This is Third Culture Kids Going Up Among Worlds, third edition. If you are a TCK, if you are not a TCK, you need to have this, go grab a copy. And now, I would love to actually start off with some snacks because that will guide us through the conversation. So Ruth, you decided to choose some very specific snacks that you got from your childhood with us today. And you can see yeah. here, can you explain to us what the meaning of this was for you? Well, I grew up with mango trees. So <clears throat> my whole life, my favorite fruit growing up was mango. And so I decided to uh, bring that today. But then I also thought I had so many other things I loved. I loved dates because we had date palms in our backyard. And I loved peanuts because in Kano, it's kind of like the peanut capital of the world to me. Mm. At the time, they had big pyramids of peanuts waiting to be shipped around the world. So all across the city, we had peanuts and we had peanut oil and all that. So for me, growing up in Kano, these were the three of the things that I really enjoyed and for years I couldn't get mangoes when I came back to the States and that was a big disappointment. But now part of globalization is we can get food from everywhere, anywhere. Yes. So now I can get my dates, I can get my 
mangoes, and I guess I always got my peanuts because they do have some in the States, but those were the three I chose because they were my favorites growing up as a child in Nigeria. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And it's actually very healthy. So I'm actually uh, not on a cheat date with the snack, but I'm actually enjoying the conversation with some healthy food. So the first question, let's get into it. I would love if you can share with us how you went into the world of the Third Culture Kid experience. I would love for you to share more about your beginning and your journey. As far as getting into the top, give me. Correct. As you said, I grew up as a third culture kid without any language, had no idea that there was any such thing in the world. My father was a third culture kid. He never knew it before he died. He didn't have language, but he taught me a lot. He had a lot of wisdom from this experience uh, where he used to say, you know, unpack your bag and plant your trees because mm. you'll never live if you don't live where you are. You can't live, keep waiting to move. But I still had no referential point for that. Just, you know, okay, that's good advice. Mm. Um, so I grew up, I was born in Nigeria. My parents went over to Nigeria during the war and they didn't let children go overseas on ships and planes because the ships were being shot down and the planes weren't making it. So when my parents went in 1944, my mother was pregnant with my sister and they got as far as Portugal and actually the ship they took was bombed and sunk on its return voyage. So those were different days. Uh, they told my mother to wait in Portugal and she had my sister there and then I was born a year later in Nigeria. So originally, uh, we had four people in my family with four different continents of birth. Mm. That's not so unusual in today's world, but it was pretty unusual in my lifetime. And I grew up in Nigeria. I loved it. I, it was normal for me, like anybody's childhood is. And I loved my trees, I loved my mangoes, I loved my dates, I loved my peanuts, I loved, you know, my friends. And then um, came back to the States when I was 13. And as many of you have might know when you go back to what you think is your home country, but you haven't lived there, you don't fit in anymore. So I had a really bad year of feeling like the kids were laughing at me because I didn't know the sports. I didn't know who Elvis Presley was. I didn't know anything, you know. And everything that I knew from my life before didn't fit. I didn't have a place. You can't bargain and market when you're going to a grocery store. So I decided that I would put Africa out of my life. My parents went back to Nigeria. And I stayed with my grandmother in the States. And I had a good time. I mean, I just kind of forgot about it and indulged in being American and having friends. And so all of that was fine, except 12 years later, I went back to Nigeria. My husband got a uh, fellowship to do an overseas elective. He was in medical school then. And first off, Nigeria wouldn't give me a visa. That was a surprise because I think I'm born there. So that was, you know, a major shock. But we wound up in Liberia and at Christmas, we went to see my parents and this world I had put away surfaced. And when we went back to the States, my daughter was born during that time we were in Liberia. I had a new baby and couldn't stay busy. And I had a major depression that I was shocked about. 
And so that's kind of a long story, but I realized afterwards that I had touched this wound that I had never really said goodbye to properly. And uh, mm. it was all surfacing. But when I was 39, we were back in Liberia uh, full time. And our daughter was going to leave just for a few months. And all of a sudden, that old depression came back. And I thought, what is this? Because I loved my life. I loved my husband. I loved my children. I loved my parents. I didn't have any great major traumas in my life. And so I started to journal. And mm. I thought, it must have to do with my goodbyes. And I had gone to boarding school at six. So I started journaling. And the, the minute I started writing as the six-year-old, I could feel it. And I felt the, all the tightness in my chest, all the tightness in my stomach that you feel when you're homesick, all the tears. But this time I had an adult self that could record it. And so I tried to put words on what I was feeling. And I kept going through the process that way. And what I didn't realize was that the very goodness of my life meant when I lost it, there was grief. But I never had allowed myself to feel the grief because there was always so much good. And mm. one of the things I guess I learned about that point was that this is an incredibly paradoxical life. It's so rich. It's so rich. But if we don't deal with the losses that come with it, because the mobility uh, you know, creates a lot of loss, then we get kind of stuck. And some people get stuck in depression. Some people get stuck in anger. Some people get stuck in denial, you know, whatever. Mm. So that was how that happened. But in the middle of doing that journaling, I had an invitation or to submit a questionnaire for my children and about their education and how they were doing. And there was going to be a first ever conference in the Philippines. So I wrote back, and it turned out Dave Pollock was organizing the conference. And of course, he was a super pioneer uh, who developed the Third Culture Kid Profile. And I wrote him back, and I said, what are you doing about the adults? I'm 39. Nobody ever did a reentry seminar for me. I never heard mm. about any of this, never heard about TCK, never heard anything. And now I'm trying to figure out my life. Maybe I'm the only one. Well, he wrote back, and he said, no, you're not the only one. Uh, and I'd like to see what you're writing. Mm. And so the work that I was doing that I wasn't planning to publish, um, I sent it to him, and I wound up at the conference. And suddenly I realized I was still that person. You can't shut out your life. And that was how it started, getting to know him and realizing again that uh, we can take a parenthesis, but we can't erase what, mm. is, what our story's been. And we shouldn't. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that very comprehensive and detailed journey of how you got into the TCK world, but also understanding how you started off by first self-reflecting and trying to understand where you were through, for yourself, that was journaling and trying to make sense of your thoughts and writing it down, and then how that brought you to connect with the pioneers with the TCK world. Thank you. Absolutely. And now I'd like to ask a question which is regarding your more recent interest of cross-cultural kids. Mm -hmm. So we heard a lot about third culture kids. And even to, to this day, a lot of people, they may be only aware of TCK, 
of TCK, their culture kids, and not so much about CCK, which of course stands for cross-cultural kid, and which was your major research. How and why do you think that people still tend to label themselves as TCKs rather than being interconnected with the greater cross-cultural kid framework? Uh, that's a good question. It's one I asked myself, but let me explain how it started so that people understand. When I was began working with Dave Pollock more, one day I said to him, you need to write up your profile and you know get it out there before you're quoting people quoting you. And he said, I don't have time. So I said, well, let me help you. It can't be that difficult. Well, it took seven years because our editor said, you have to explain it. You can't just describe it. So that's how I really got into the topic per se. And so then in time, book came out. I started doing more uh, work in terms of doing conferences. And then Dave Pollock died. So then, uh, you know, we, I did even more. And every place I went, people said to me, I relate to what you're saying, but the traditional TCK topic was studied with people who had gone overseas with their parents for some kind of career. Ruth Yusim had gone to India and was looking at, uh, with her husband, at people who did business together between cultures. And then she noticed the children of the people that she was studying from the States were different than her kids in Michigan State. So they called this place of interconnection or this interstitial culture that people were doing their business in the third culture, and then these were the kids. And that's kind of how it all started. But uh, the problem was that all these people were saying, well, I didn't do it that way, but I hear what you're saying. I feel that way, my issues of identity. I'm not sure who I am. So every time I ask people their story, this is why story is so important, they all had a cross-cultural piece. They, maybe they had parents from two countries. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were been refugees. Maybe they've been immigrants. And at that time, in 2001, people were still adamant that you couldn't be a third culture kid if you hadn't done it exactly the way it was before. And so we couldn't have a discussion. That was driving me nuts, because I said, something's going on in our world. And this is like the TCK story is a Petri dish, you know, where you look at yes. an experiment, and mm. then you apply it to other people. Mm. So I thought, well, if we could make a bigger umbrella and make this be one way that we people grow up cross-culturally and call traditional TCK, those who've done it overseas, domestic TCK, if you grew up cross-culturally in your country, then we could put in the uh, binational, biracial, multiracial uh, international adoptees and all these people, you know, the immigrants, the refugees who have the story, and what is it we share and then what is distinctive to each group? Because in the beginning, people from military, missionary, corporate, uh, foreign service, all thought they were distinctive. But when you talk about their story, we have 90% commonality. Then you have distinctives. Well, that was kind of my idea, like, what is going on? Hmm. So it began that way. But uh, that was interesting. And I thought we were doing fine. And uh, I still have this dream of a conference where people who have studied each of these those groups can come together and do that. But suddenly, when we tried to say in the last edition that, make the point it was a traditional TCK so that we knew exactly that the, the profile was formed on the people who did it internationally. So that's where if you um, 
get it all confused, the, the profile doesn't always work. So anyway, then I found out people thought that I was trying to keep other people from, it was sort of an elitism that this was, you know, some kind of privileged position to be a TCK and I didn't mm. want other people to be. And I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole point was to invite everybody to the conversation. Right. So there is a, a conversation going on. What does it mean to be in an interstitial space? If that was the third culture, mm. what are the ways and, you know, some of the other groups like refugees probably have an interstitial space where they're not like, we weren't like our host country or the home country. We were, we were in a place where we were living a common experience with other expats. But for refugees, they're also living between worlds. You know, maybe they they've had to leave one and they've come to the other, but they formed another. So it's kind of a growing uh, awareness. But for me, the simplest thing is to say everybody's cross-cultural, and we did it in different ways. And let's talk about what the cross-cultural experience does, because everybody who's cross-cultural is not highly mobile. But the traditional TCK, one of the big aspects for us is the high mobility in terms of how, how it's shaped. And so that's my curiosity. I have a lot of curiosity. So if other people want to share in this discussion, uh, we want to take it to the next level. Mm. Can I say one more thing? Please. That I learned doing that? What surprised me uh, at the beginning was the first time I used the model, somebody came up and she said, can you be in more than one circle at a time? And I said, oh, I was thinking as distinct circles. And she said, well, we're from India, my, uh, but my husband and I don't speak the same original language. So in our home, we speak English or Hindi. Then we lived in different parts. So we're in the bi bicultural circle. We lived in different parts of um, India, so my kids are domestic TCKs because there's lots of culture. Then we immigrated to the States, so my kids are immigrant, children of immigrants. We became a uh, minority because then every day you're going between your probably original culture and the, the dominant culture. Then she said my husband got a job with an international company, so we went overseas. Now they're traditional TCKs. <laughs> and every place they've been, she said they've gone to school in a different culture than when they come home at night, so they're educational. Well, they were in six circles. Mm. And I thought, you know what? The world is really becoming culturally complex. And we have a lot of um, models that are based on more monocultural things, even developmental models, and our diversity models. Um, when people look at me, they don't think Africa. But my soul was kind of born and raised and bathed in that. So we have a lot of work to do. And I'm, you know, I love to think about these things. And then the TCKs of Asia form. And I realized there's a whole nother, it's almost like they're doing the second generation of people who were raised. Uh, they're non-Western, non-white, but they're raised in international schools that are very Western. And so in the day, they're sort of one percent of it when they go home at night. If they take some of those values from the uh, school home, their parents aren't happy. So mm. I feel like after all these years, we barely began. And that's what keeps it interesting to me. From what you've, what you've shared, what I can understand is that it wasn't only out of your own curiosity of, you know, how can I make sense of this? but as well as in combination of others coming up to you and being like, 
well, do I, can I belong in this group? Can I, can I belong in that? Does this mean that I'm excluded from this? And what you were trying to, let's say, co-create was in the end, how can we create more connection instead of creating more in-group and out-groups, which is completely what you were not trying to, which was the complete opposite of what you were trying to work for. Right. How, how do you think that the qualities and characteristics of, in general, cross-cultural people, they can, they're more easily able to adapt or connect because as you, as you, with your work, you really concentrate on how can we create common commonalities, how can we create similarities and cross the borders. How do you think specifically cross-cultural kids have that potential and that skill set to do so? Well, I think first the, to say that the, one of the biggest challenges is the question of identity. Who am I when I'm raised in so many places? because in a traditional place, you would be raised one place, people around you have the same values. And by the time you're 18, you know, you've kind of learned how the rules go and how things are. When we're mobile, or even if it's just that you have grandparents who speak different languages, and you go to one home and there's one culture, and then you go to the other grandparents' home and there's a different culture, different language, it starts to get a little confusing. Like, which one am I? Am I this? Am I that? And so, as far as when I think about these things, I think, well, for me, I start with likeness. Every single person that I meet, and this is why the stories are so great, there's a likeness that they're a person who wants to belong. We're relational beings, we're emotional beings, uh, we're volitional beings. We have the capacity to make choice. We're intellectually think. Mm -hmm. So I don't care where you're from, we can start there. That means if you, don't feel you belong, it's a bad feeling mm. for any. But the second part is everybody's also unique. So we have likeness, we have uniqueness. And in terms of my listening to story, I think, okay, how does this person's uniqueness sort of develop out of this thing? You know, we want to be relational, so there's cultures make ways we start relationships. So I just, I sit there and I think, okay, I'm not afraid of you because I know we share common needs. How those are found, how those express, and also what your gifts are, because people have incredible gifts, mm. um, you know, in each individual. And then that's what, in, in the end, shapes who I am and finding my place, finding my place in the world, finding my place in life. Mm. So if we can do that for each other, I think um, we can help. But I think the biggest thing. The biggest gift of my life is having friends from lots of places and cultures and foods and everything else because it's made my life so incredibly rich. Mm. And it grieves me, it grieves me when those things get in the way of listening to each other as people. Mm. And that's why, to me, starting with likeness and that person wants to belong, I want to belong. That person wants to make a difference in this world, I want to make a difference in this world. And how we do that might be you know, specific to our uniqueness. Mm. But we're developing gifts as we live in these worlds that we don't even know because we're switching in a way we're code switching. If I'm playing with my Nigerian friends, I'm going to speak house, okay? And I'll try not to use my left hand and I'll try to do the things that are appropriate in that culture. 
if I come back to the States and I go through the drive-through, I always feel bad passing them with my money with my left hand because I think I'm really not supposed to do that. Mm. But of course, in the States, that's not a problem. Mm. And so making that adjustment, it can be part of our challenge at certain times, like when I was 13. But it's a great gift in the end because we don't even know we're learning multi or cross-cultural skills if we do it right. Now, sometimes it's not just automatic. Uh, people who are raised cross-culturally can become too afraid or maybe other really traumatic things happen. So it's not just automatic, but certainly it's a different capacity and opportunity, I should say, mm. to just enjoy uh, and see the other person and, and um, mm. know that, you know, in some deep way there, uh, that we share common needs. Mm. Thank you so much. Uh, I ha do have to say that we are a bit tight on time, but I have really two burning questions that I would love for you to answer. And if, if it's possible for, for you to, yes, <laughs> to, to um, summarize kind of your thoughts on this, which is the first one being, despite, as you also mentioned, how interconnected our world is now today with globalization, why do you think there still is a huge lack of awareness for our third culture kid, cross-cultural kid community? I feel like there's still a huge, huge chunk that are unaware of themselves who are third culture kids, cross-cultural kids, uh, and as well as others in general. Why do you think it's so? I think because it takes a long time to change a system. And the way that uh, difference in identity has been named for years has been your nationality, your race, your gender, whatever it is. And this experience shapes us internally differently. I call it a hidden diversity, mm. but it's pretty hard. There's a magazine called Cultures, which doesn't have an E, it's C-U-L-T-U-R-S. Yeah. And Donnie has been, Donnie Aldine has been making a magazine to bring awareness to this. It's a gorgeous magazine, and the stories are all our stories. And I think things like that help. But I think it's just plain awareness. If you knew where it was at the beginning, we couldn't even get a publisher besides an academic publisher for, for the TCK book originally. Mm. People said, oh, that, not that many people do it. So this is also why, to me, the expanding the term gives a lot more space for people to come. I don't have to sit and think, are you or aren't you part of me? I can mm. say, well, wait a minute. You know, you grew up cross-culturally. What did that do for you? How did that affect you? How did that affect your process? Mm. Um, and how did it shape you? And so we can have a conversation without deciding are you in or out of my little box in my circle. Absolutely. How do you think, Ruth, let me rephrase this. Where do you think we are at the moment with the CCK world and community and what is your vision for how it would look like in the next 10 years i think we're at the tipping point in a good way it feels to me like uh, we've been trying to push a snowball up the mountain uh, uh, for a long time and there's been a lot of people who haven't believed and who say that this is just you know um, silliness or people trying to make money or something. But 
I think enough people, once people understand the concept, when they live it and they have their what we call aha moment, like, oh, I have mm. language, I have a name. I'm not crazy. My job has been trying to normalize this. That's what you're doing today, Ron, where you're giving an exposure to it and people can say, oh, I didn't know that I had a name. I'm not crazy. I thought something was wrong with me. Mm. And I didn't realize when I was 13, it was my experience that was different. It wasn't that I was a you know, deficient human being who couldn't figure out the rules. I hadn't been where the rules were mm. played out. It never occurred to me they wouldn't know the rules if they came to Nigeria, that I could have been the expert. So I think the more we can normalize it. And uh, But I have a lot of hope. I, I heard the TV program the other day somebody wrote me she said on this program they said oh did you know you were at tck and i thought (laughs) but i think there's a lot of work to do because i do hear a lot of interviews like in the states on npr and they're interviewing Mm. this person or that person and oh it's such a weird experience and i think no 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 they're a unique experience i think there's millions it's not unique and and uh so i think as we normalize it then we don't have to be afraid of it then we use our gifts because mm. we're not trying to hide who we are, and people don't think we're boasting if we talk about what our experiences are. That was one thing for me. If I talked about, you know, I've been here, been there, they think, oh, well, you're just bragging. I'm really not bragging. So then I had to hide my life again. Mm. But I, it's becoming normal. So many people are doing it. May I say one thing, though? Please. The countersight of that is that because people don't understand, it's also creating this backlash. Like, if I don't know who I am, the only way I can define it is who I'm not. So I'm not you. And I think that that's the biggest challenge in our world right now. How do we come to accept the changes rather than be terrified by them? So I think a lot of people who don't understand the story or maybe who didn't live it, they see all this change happening and they're scared to death that I'm going to lose me. So we're not going to lose ourselves. Those of us who grew up cross-culturally, we can only build on it. But so for the people who grew up in one place, they're also building on it. And they're still humans and likeness of me, even if you grew up in one place. You want to belong. I want to belong. And we can start to have a conversation, I hope, that transcends all the differences we think we see and um, maybe have a new approach to all of that. Absolutely. So I unfortunately have to say that we are kind of closing on time, but you know what? I'm thinking if you are up for it, Ruth, I might would like to do a part two with you just because there's a lot more questions we have and we just can't fit it into our one episode. So I will, I will be in touch with you on that. But before we close for this episode, I am aware that you are also the vice chair the governing vice chair of span and span is having an event in october seven to eight i believe would you like to say just a few words about that and then we will close i would love that span is safe passage across networks it's an organization dedicated to trying to create positive transition programs particularly for international schools, I think it'll grow to other places in time, where in schools where the the transition is like endemic, people are always coming and going. And that creates some of the issues that we often see later. How do you develop a program where there's a positive goodbye so you can say a positive hello? So 
join us for the conference, go on spanschools.org and look at the conference and come and join because it's, a, it's again a burgeoning movement. I wanna say I'm almost 78 now. So I know that my biggest job is to get your generation uh, involved in this. And that's what encourages me is you're doing things like this, they're doing things like that. And so my job maybe was to open some windows, but your job is to carry it now and see all the ways you can develop. And SPAN is a great organization for understanding the story, but also practically helping each other. And they have some online training. That, so I consider it a privilege there. And we started also Family Global Transition around my kitchen table in 1998. And SPAN kind of grew out of that. So all of these things to me, it's nice to be old. And then you see what happens in life and all the things you dream uh, don't all happen, but a lot of things you didn't know could happen too. And uh, so it's not so bad. Thank you so much, Ruth. And unfortunately, time is up, but I'm sure that we will have you on to continue the conversation because there's just too much that I need to still ask you and would love to hear your insights further. For the audience who has been watching today, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to ask a question to Ruth, please take a comment, please comment down below and let us know what you would like to ask and further questions or content that you would also like to see here in our episode. As always, if you would like to be updated on our new guests and our new episodes, please follow us on our social media channels at Raw Culture. Thank you so much. This is Connecting Cultures with Wei Rong Lee. I'll see you again. Bye bye.